Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wikishuffle is brought to you by the letter D and the number 7. Welcome to Wiki Shuffle. My name's Jack, and I'm joined by Chris and Phil. Hello. Hello. So we're going to delve into the wonderful world of Wikipedia once more for you, and see what we come up with. Nothing else to talk about um, this week, so let's just get right down into the Wiki Shuffling. Okay, this one has immediately brought a smile to my face, um, and Jack, I'm sure it will to yours as well. It's not about um, wrestling, is it? It's not about oh, wrestling. Thank God. Um, although that's a crossover I'd be quite happy to see. This is Mr. Snuffleupagus. Yeah. <laughs> is this the big elephant one? The big elephant, yeah, the mammoth, mammoth sort sorry. of thing, yeah. yeah. The big, the big doe-eyed mammoth. Mm. I loved um, Mr. Snuffleupagus. Mr. Snuffleupagus, yeah, I have a, there's a soft spot in my heart for Mr. Snuffleupagus as well. Um... Aloysius Snuffleupagus. So, who knew that his first name was Aloysius? More commonly known as Mr. Snuffleupagus. Snuffleupagus. Or Snuffy. I just want to the join in. Snuffleupagus. It, it, is, a fu- it is fun. Mm. Oh, let's all have a go. I'm not sure I want to. Snuffleupagus. Is he Greek? <laughs> Mr. Snuffleupagus, or Snuffy, is one of the characters on Sesame Street, the educational television programme for young children. He was created as a woolly mammoth without tusks or visible ears, and has a long, thick, pointed tail, similar in shape to that of a dinosaur or other reptile. He has long, thick brown hair and a trunk, or snuffle, that drags along the ground. He is a friend of Big Bird and has a baby sister named Alice, who also attends Snuffle Garden. That's a bit weak, isn't it? Snuffle Garden. And he's friends with Big Bird. I like Big Bird. He's best friends with Big Bird, yeah. Well, Big Bird... um... He's like the leader, isn't he? If I was going to pick a leader of Sesame Street, I think Big Bird. No, um, well... Yeah. Yeah. He's like king of the king of the Sesame Streets. He's, he's the king, yeah. Yeah. I had some of Big Bird and Snuffleupagus's best moments on VHS. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of my favourites. For many years, Big Bird was the only character on the show who saw Mr. Snuffleupagus, but later in the 17th series, 1985, he showed his friends on Sesame Street his imaginary friend, so they believed him. Before that happened, the main adult characters <laughs> teased Big Bird when he said he saw the Snuffleupagus because they did what not believe there was such an animal. <laughs> Oi, Big Bird, you fucking nerd. <laughs> yeah, I'll believe in you, you massive humanoid yellow bird, but I'm not believing in that thing you're describing. <laughs> but then at some point they just went, 
Okay. <laughs> All right, Big Bird, we get it. Yeah, Fucking we see hell. him too. Yeah. This was, they wouldn't believe him despite evidence to the contrary, such as an oversized teddy bear that Snuffy had left behind or segments That's... in which Snuffy interacted with the other characters. Hang on, right, let's break that down. There was evidence such as an oversized teddy bear that Snuffy had left behind. How is that evidence? That's just a teddy bear. It's circumstantial. It wouldn't stand up in court. But, you know, if it's your friend you're listening to... And the other evidence is segments in which Snuffy interacted with other characters. I'd say that's pretty hardcore evidence. That would be my first line of defence. But no, let's just say, if you said you've got a Snuffleupagus (laughs) and you were really convinced that and you could see you like getting visibly... Mm. Like stressed out because no one was believing you. There's two two things you could do: get you sectioned, mm-hmm. or just go hello, <laughs> Snuffy, <laughs> and just carry it on for you. Snuffy isn't imaginary, so Big Bird would then get pissed off. The concept was meant to echo the existence of imaginary friends some young children have. The Snuffleupagus's fur in the earlier years was light brown as it is today, but not exactly the same shade. He also had a yellow almond-shaped eyes with thin pupils and shorter eyelashes. This appearance was deemed frightening for younger children, so later it was revamped to have his eyes look more round and have a friendly personality. <laughs> Did it not have a friendly personality before? <laughs> Just went around tearing. <laughs> yeah, almond-shaped eyes can't have friendly personalities. True. That's true. That's just how it works. By the late 1970s, the storylines had the adult characters becoming increasingly frustrated with Big Bird, using the Snuffleupagus as a scapegoat whenever something went wrong while they were out of the room. In one episode, newspapers on Sesame Street carried the front page headline, Snuffy's got to go. Some adults gradually began to believe Big Bird, the first being folk singer Buffy St. Marie, who sang Big Bird a song about her belief in Mr. Snuffleupagus. Snuffy's got to go. Get these dirty, snuffy immigrants out of our Get snuffy out. That's made me sad. Just imagine like a boat full of snuffleupaguses trying to make it to Western Europe. The huddled masses of snuffleupagai. (laughs) This running gag ended with the season 17 premiere of Sesame Street, episode 2096, first aired in November 1985. Um following the release of the Sesame Street film Follow That Bird sorry episode 2096 mm. uh, sorry not 69 and this was in the 80s the way this is written as well it sounds like it's a re- it's a, like a drama like, oh, in the season premiere they found out that Snuffy was <laughs> yeah, there was a cliffhanger and it was a, yeah it was a big moment <laughs> it was Big Bird is sick and tired of the grown-ups not believing him when he tells them about Snuffy, so he decides to arrange for them to come out to his nest and meet Snuffy when he yells the signalling word, FOOD! (laughs) He chooses this word because he knows the grown-ups will not believe him if he tells them his real reason for inviting them to his nest, and food is a more credible lure. When Big Bird calls out the word, Snuffy runs out runs off to tell his mother about the meeting so once again the grown-ups just miss him oh snuffy at this point they'd go right big birds i'm i've had this now we've been doing this for years we've been doing this for 2000 episodes (laughs) so there's a nest there so this has become very elaborate at this point so this has gone beyond imaginary friends to proper psychosis Mm -hmm. in the minds Mm -hmm. of the adults that must be really starting to worry about big bird now 
Gordon, wanting to help, suggests to Big Bird that he needs someone to help him keep <laughs> Snuffy in his nest, and Elmo offers to be the one. Snuffy returns, then tells Elmo he had better go home and brush his fur to prepare for the grown-up's arrival. But Elmo holds on to his snuffle so he cannot go. Big Bird yells, food! And one by one, the adults come and see Snuffy for the first time ever. After viewing the Snuffleopagus in stunned disbelief, then cautiously approaching, Big Bird does an I told you so routine to the adults. <laughs> Dick. <laughs> <laughs> Susan apologises on behalf of the group for disbelieving Big Bird for so long. Bob McGrath then tells him, from now on, we'll believe you whenever you tell us something. Doesn't seem wise. <laughs> Linda then suggests that Big Bird introduce Snuffy to everyone one by one. The entire Sesame Street cast henceforth sees Snuffy regularly on the show. Well, there we go. Hmm. Introduced the imaginary friend as a, a full-time cast member and never looked back. In an interview on a Canadian telethon that was hosted by Bob McGrath, Snuffy's performer, Martin P. Robinson, revealed that Snuffy was finally introduced to them, the main human cast, mainly due to a string of high-profile and sometimes graphic stories of paedophilia and sexual abuse of children that had been aired on shows such as 60 Minutes and 2020. What? <laughs> The writers felt that by having the adults refuse to believe Big Bird, despite the fact that he was telling the truth, they were scaring children into thinking that their parents would not believe them if they had been sexually abused and that they would be better off remaining silent. Whoa. Mm. Well, makes sense then. So in this analogy, is Snuffleupagus a paedophile? No. <laughs> <laughs> So Big Bird is a child. I think that's the thing, though. I'm sure I've heard that before. Well, the Big Bird is a child. I think so. I think isn't that the fact? Isn't that it looks like it's only like seven years old? One of the Sesame Streets is like looks about. Maybe I guess that's why you have the adult. I could believe that yeah. Elmo was like a child, but he's like Big Bird. He's like forty-two. Grover, Grover's like in his fifties. <laughs> <laughs> Oscar the Grouch. He's just had a hard time. He's only twenty-one. <laughs> So, did either of you have imaginary friends as children, or now? <laughs> uh, no, I never I had the imagination. No. Never was something that I've... We, we had computer games when we were young. So. <laughs> we had, we had uh, yeah, I had to, to make up my own entertainment. No, I, I did. Hmm. I had a whole family of um, little people. Sort of... <laughs> <Or> dwarfs. <laughs> sort of three inch high people that lived in my bed with me and I used to talk to before I went to sleep oh, okay okay I, uh, I can't remember much more about them but they were, they were numerous there wasn't just the one and they definitely had they a bit like that and I always knew that they weren't real I wasn't delusional but they're not here I now definitely they? have a, they're not here <laughs> do you remember their names I don't know that they had them what did they did they just look like humans I think I'd just tell them about my day yeah they were human but little. Oh, that's very strange. And so they'd like sit on my oh, pillow. Oh. <laughs> and when I think I would just talk to them and that that's innocent and sweet. But, and yeah, I, I think a lot of kids do have that, don't they? I think it's it's pretty normal. We probably did, we just don't remember. No, I don't think I did. Saying that, yeah, you yeah. I cannot I cannot imagine you having one. Too sensible. No imagination. <laughs> Spelling Snuffleupagus. Nope. 
<laughs> yeah, let's have another spelling thing. Nope, nope. Let, let's do that. Yeah, okay. According to sources <laughs> such as the Sesame Street Workshop um, website and Sesame Street Unpaved, the character's name is spelled Snuffleupagus. S N U F F L E U P A G U S. Many licenses, closed captioners, and fans, including websites, misspell the word. Even the Jim Henson Company website errs, spelling the character's name Snuffleupagus. S N U F F U L U P A G U S, which is pretty understandable. Yeah. See also, and there's a link here, which I think we're going to have to click through on. Snuffy's parents get a divorce. What? Oh, God. It's not like they see another Snuffleupagus and then the mum finds out and it's like they got to move away and you need to see dad one at the weekends. Oh, my. Right. Snuffy's parents get a divorce is an episode of the children's television programme Sesame Street produced in 1992. It never aired because tests showed several unintended negative effects. Wow. Where's this going? Sesame Street has had a history of presenting difficult topics as part of its effective curriculum goals, including death, marriage, childbirth and disaster. Extensive research was done before these episodes were written and produced to ascertain their focus and after they aired to analyse the effect they had on viewers. And that was the case for Snuffy's parents get a divorce. The show's producers had expressed a desire to produce the episode as early as 1989 and they were convinced that it was a topic they should address after the US Census Bureau reported that 40% of American children had experienced divorce. That is... A significantly um, higher proportion than the number of US children whose parents were snuffleupagi. That's true. Sesame Street is probably, in my opinion anyway, the most important kids TV show there's ever been. To to take on these subjects is... Nothing else does it, really. Not, uh, not in the detail that Sesame Street has done. I mean, it's had a HIV-positive character in South Africa. And it's probably, it probably is a good thing, I think, because a lot of kids... That might be all that they have every day that mm-hmm. teaches them things like that, and it's uh, like, you know, it's good. I don't it's imagine it's a very good episode. I <laughs> well, I don't know. This one clearly wasn't because they decided not to wear it, <laughs> and I, for one, am intrigued to learn why. Yeah, they um, yeah. I mean, they they educated children on things like that. You know, um, things that would affect them in their daily life. You also have just general learning, like Counting. numbers, letters, words. Yeah. Um, yeah, counting was was the big one with the count. Um, I'm not going to do it. But the the great thing about Sesame Street is, that, I mean, I loved it as a kid. But the great thing was always that it never did feel like learning. It was just mm. fun. And like my mum would do it, she'd bring, she's like, give me a yogurt, and the yogurt would have like a cartoon character on the front, and I'd be like, I know your game. I'm not eating this yogurt just because it's a cartoon character. I'm not an idiot, mum. <laughs> But Sesame Street was like, you show me Sesame Street and I'll learn shit loads, but I won't even realise that I'm learning. Yeah. I couldn't disagree more. I, as a child, I always found Sesame Street really patronising and I felt like it taught down to me. And obviously I know what the alphabet is. Explain it to me all at once. Don't do it piecemeal. I, <laughs> I guess it depends on how old you are. Only in I was 17. And to be honest, it was terrible revision. <laughs> no, no, you're so wrong. So wrong. I, I think... didn't. I didn't think I watched much of Sesame. I wasn't really a Sesame Street person. I know it was odd, and it was thing. But I was completely obsessed with it, and I mean, I, even now I'm obsessed with the Muppets and basically any Jim Henson yeah. thing. 
Um, no, I, I think I think Sesame Street should be on every day. I mean, it probably is in in other countries, but it's not. I don't think it's shown here anymore. It's still shown in America every day. I think it's. Still oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it's still going. Yeah. But, it's um, out there but yeah, it's not on UK TV anymore. So the the point you're you're making, um, Jack, is that you think that Sesame Street is doing a good thing by trying to teach subjects that wouldn't necessarily form fall in the remit of um, Sesame Street. Absolutely. My counter to that is there's got to be a line. There's got to be a point at which I don't want. Kermit teaching me how to put on a condom. I, <laughs> there's a, these are important things that children need to be taught at some point as part of their education, but there becomes a line where Sesame Street is not the medium for doing that. Mm. And when you get onto more serious subjects like HIV, like death and um, even divorce, is that the point at which that line is starting to blur and it becomes really difficult to do it well? What's the, um, the, the age demographic for Sesame Street now? It's very young kids, I'd say, yeah, from, from birth, really, up, up to, to maybe yeah. seven or eight, I'd say. Sort of low-intelligent kids that can't really handle being taught about more than one number at a time. Right. <laughs> Just only got the seven. capacity for one number. Digest seven. Yeah. <laughs> Death, marriage, HIV, childbirth, disaster, divorce. That, they're big concepts. That, yeah, and I do. Absolutely. I think there's such value in teaching kids about those kind of things because they are things that are going to be going on in their lives. Cookie and, eating, mm. effective sure. consumption of multiple. Right, right. That's right. addiction. He had. Yeah, he had that's... a genuine addiction. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> Homelessness, Oscar the Grouch. Never <laughs> <laughs> no, the grumpiness, are... Oscar the Grouch. Yeah. These are huge concepts for such small children to get their heads around, and they very well might not have anyone to teach them at all. So Sesame Street is doing a valuable job, and whether they do it well or not is. And I think they do do it well because it's still on air and it's still very popular. Um, just shut up, Phil. I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not this thing. <laughs> I think it is good work that they're doing that the um, that the children's television workshop. Uh, well done them. But I never really liked it. That's let's fine. see. That's fine. Let's see how they tried to deal with the very traumatic issue of Mr. Snuffleupagus's parents' divorce. <laughs> Again, he's being called Mr. Snuffleupagus, suggesting that he is a full-grown man <laughs> rather than a child that might mm. have trouble dealing with the parents' divorce. But let's see how they dealt with it. The producers chose to present the Muppet Mr. Snuffleupagus's and his family's experience of divorce. Every word of the divorce episode was reviewed by the Children's Television Workshop's advisory board, content experts and developmental psychologists. After tests showed that their young viewers were confused by the episode and did not understand important concepts about divorce, the producers decided not to air it despite the investment they had made. It was the first time the show's producers made this kind of decision and was cited as an example of the producer's practice of listening to the voices of children and by putting their needs first, despite the costs. Sesame Street did not address the topic of divorce until November 2012, when they produced for limited audiences Little Children Big Challenges Divorce as part of their resiliency initiative. Like in Snuffy's Parents Get Divorced, the production used a Muppet, Abby Kadabi, to represent the child experiencing divorce. Whereas Snuffy was shown going through it in real time, Abby's parents' divorce was in the past, which gave her time to adjust. And there you go. That shows responsibility of the showmakers. If they didn't feel the quality mm. was there, I think they weren't that makes because with, with Sesame Street, there were the main ones, and then there were some that were supposed to represent like humans. Or well, they weren't humans. They were they were Muppets, but they're more human looking. They're not like Snuffleupagus. You know what I mean? Like the, the Muppet movie yeah. has the main character in that, 
that's a little Muppet, but it's of the. Do you know, do you know what I mean? No, no, <laughs> no. Oh, okay, right. So the Muppets that was released a few years ago, they had. Um, I've forgotten his name. But he was more of a, a boy than a. He was still. A, he's still a Muppet. Though. He's still a Muppet, but. I forget it. I I understand what you're saying. There's there's more human looking Muppets than yeah, there so are the children can monster relate to or it. animal looking yeah. Muppets. And yeah, they would relate to them more. And if he's talking about it in the past, it might be less dramatic than having Mr. Snuffleupagus slam the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or cry himself to sleep, yeah. So yeah, as we said, this isn't the only time that um, Sesame Street touched on um, some more serious themes. For the 1988 and 1989 seasons, the topics of love, marriage and childbirth were addressed when the show staff created a storyline in which characters Louie and Maria fall in love, marry and have a child. Imagine that wasn't shown in full context. (laughs) Extensive research was done before these episodes were written and produced to ascertain their focus and after they aired to analyse the effect they had on viewers. Um, The show also addressed real-life disasters. For example, the producers addressed the September 11th terrorist attacks with an episode that aired early in 2002. Um, How did they handle that? It cites an article um, in Newsweek titled How Sesame Street Changed the World. And it's long. Oh, no, I don't. (laughs) I can guess what it did, and it probably did do it very respectfully. They also produced a series of four episodes that aired after Hurricane Katrina in 2005. Doing good work. So there we are. Mr. Snuffleupagus um, is teaching the world, um, although his parents don't love each other anymore. Mm, he's very uh, broken. But it's not his fault. It's not, not his fault. fault. Well, we don't know that. It might be his fault. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why they didn't show it, because <laughs> they made out it was all his fault and that he ruined their life. Cause... Um, as a side note, what's green and smells of bacon? Kermit's cock. Oh, I'm more familiar with the version where it's Kermit's fingers, which is slightly <laughs> less disgusting and a bit funnier. Underachiever. Okay. This is relevant to me, at least. <laughs> For the pitch shifter song, see Underachiever song. For the hip hop duo, see the Underachievers. That's not a nice thing. If I was a hip hop duo, I'd definitely want to um, call myself. If we were a hip-hop duo. Let's do that. Bin this off. Please do not do that. (laughs) For starters, Phil's wearing a flat cap right now. Chris, you're normally wearing a flat cap. No men in flat caps can be a hip-hop duo. That's the the thing. That's the kind of prejudice we have to put up with every day. (laughs) An underachiever is a person, and especially a student, who fails to achieve his or her potential or does not do as well as expected. Uh, This is basically Wikipedia being a dictionary. (laughs) (laughs) Of particular interest is academic underachievement. Studies of individuals who have not realised their apparent potential have identified learning disabilities, ADHD and many other educational problems and enabled methods of addressing these problems. Current theories among academic scholars prefer to address underperformance problems with remedial help. Would, um, Would either of you consider yourself an underachiever? Would you consider yourself an overachiever, maybe, or just an achiever? I'd say I'm a slight underachiever. I don't push myself hard enough, I don't think. Mm. I go, yeah, I'm all right, it's fine, carry on. And then just get on with it. I I could push myself harder. We should just let the listeners know that Phil is is your boss. Uh, Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oops. Oh dear. You put your foot right in it there. <laughs> I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not strictly speaking your boss. You don't report. No, that me. is true. You're um, a boss at Chris's but, place of work. Yeah. yeah. You could just report this information back, though. Yeah. Don't. But believe me, if I was your boss, things would be very different. <laughs> you know this, <laughs> I'm sure. You know this is being recorded, right? <laughs> well, I, I think there's room for um, a performance review as part of this podcast. God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, Phil? Um, I, I, I've got a podcast. What? I've, I've made it. I'm big time. Oh, I don't want to analyse myself in that way. That's, okay. what, that's what I should have said. Oh, I love analysing myself. I don't fulfil my potential. I have, I have masses of potential. <laughs> I was going to say. So you're bragging about your yeah. achievement is a bit of That's what's it. I, I, I tell myself that I, I'm not fulfilling my potential for whatever reason, but that I do have potential and therefore I don't have to feel too bad about myself. It's just, oh, well, I've got this and this yeah, and I can't really be bothered doing that. So. As you get older, that potential starts to mean less and less, though. Oh, like, yeah. I, you have to come to terms with the fact you're never going to be a professional sports person now. That Any potential you may have once had in that regard, that doesn't exist anymore. That's no. gone. Don't get me wrong. I'm kidding myself in the fact that I tell myself that I have <laughs> potential. I don't have any. Um, but it makes me feel a little bit better. This is depressing. Hmm. Uh, I feel like um, I'm talking to my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the difference being I don't really give a shit. <laughs> she doesn't either. <laughs> The term is also used more generally. For example, a sports team that contains many star players but still loses games against teams with relatively little obvious talent would be termed underachieving. A stock which achieves poor profit and or capital gains despite sound underlying business and or assets may be called underachieving also. See also achievement gap, overachievement, twice exceptional and downward mobility. All of it. I don't want to look at any of those. No, um, they sound really yeah. boring. <laughs> Great. That was, yeah, it was basically just a dictionary entry, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, has, uh, Designed to... to make us feel bad about ourselves. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Wanda Raimi. Nope. Nope, me neither. Wanda Raimi, born 18th of February 1924 in Terre Haute, Indiana died 15th of August 2009 in California, was a pioneering American television news reporter. She was married to Richard... Oh, there is no way I can pronounce that surname. Portuguese, by the looks of it. And assumed his name, but continued to use her maiden name in her professional life. Ramey was born in Indiana to parents Hiram and May Ramey. She attended school um, and college in Terre Haute, receiving a BA degree in radio journalism from oh, Indiana could... State Teachers College in 1945. She could have been an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> After college graduation, she moved with her family to Oakland, California, due to a transfer in her father's company, American Express. She lived there for a while, then moved to Los Angeles, California, and began working, first as a recording studio and then in the movie theatre division of Warner Brothers. Um, her broadcasting career, Ramey's first post-college radio employment was at radio station KPIK in San Luis Obispo, California. After that, she returned to the Bay Area and worked at several stations. By 1952, she was working at KGO-TV in San Francisco, California. She first hosted Midday with Wanda, a short-lived news and interview show. Then in 1954, she hosted The Woman Behind the Man. 
interviewing the wives of famous Bay Area men. Oh, that's very <laughs> 1950s, isn't yeah. it? The woman behind the man. Mm. Oh, God, what did they talk about? How they starch their shirt collars. Oh, man. You know what? I imagine that's not far off the truth. The KGO job did not last long. Vince Francis, KGO general manager, fired her by telling her that women did not do a good job as newscasters. This is the plot of Anchorman. It took her several months to find another broadcasting job, uh, at this time at KCBS Radio in San Francisco. On that job, her on-air name was Jane Todd. She hosted the programme Meet Me at Mannings, which featured interviews with women. Oh, God, it's some kind of forced segregation. Yeah. As opposed to voluntary segregation. That is a thing. Why do American radio stations all have names like KCBS? KCBS. Like, we have, over here in in Britannia, we have Connect or Heart or, you know, simple, easy names. Mm. Actually, They just have a string of letters. What does the the K mean? Because they've always got a K at the beginning. Does that stand for something? It's always like KCBO, KRTP. You're missing the wrong, you're asking the wrong kind of people. Well, if anyone would like to tweet me that, because I'm quite curious. <laughs> yeah, KCBS, which is the radio station that um, Wanda Ramey was on, um, has also been called KQW, um, KNX and KWG, but it doesn't say what the K even stands for. What does no. the K stand for? In 1957, Ramey was hired as a newscaster by KPIX-TV, San Francisco's first television station. The station was one of the first to create a half-hour news programme at midday, and they made further history by casting one of the first female newscasters, Ramey, on the programme. She was variously referred to as Channel 5's Gal on the Go, Girl on the Beat, and Woman on the Beat. She left KPIX in 1967. I like that they have to make it abundantly clear that she's a woman. She's a gal on the, the go. segment titles. Oh, I just can't imagine how much she must have had her bottom touched in the course oh, of yeah. her ten-year tenure. Ramey estimated that she had interviewed some 1,200 personalities in the course of her career, including several US presidents and an astronaut. Her most memorable interview was with Eleanor Roosevelt, who was Ramey's own inspiration as a girl. After 1967, Ramey avoided further full-time broadcasting work. She served as a Bay Area correspondent with The Voice of America, worked part-time at local PBS station KQED-TV, and volunteered with Bay Area charities and projects. During the late 1960s, she worked as a reporter on KGO-TV's Newsbeat nightly newscast. They've all got stupid acronyms. What does the K mean? (laughs) Just someone tell me. They're so unmemorable. So, yeah, it looks as though um, she worked up until the 1960s and then became too old to be hireable um, by the time she hit 40, which is just depressing, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Um Let's read a little bit about her personal life. Ramey entered the broadcast world at a time when women were not often considered for serious reporting slots. Describing the young Ramey in San Francisco, TV personality Terence O'Flaherty said, Miss Ramey, an intelligent and attractive young woman, is single and also very serious about her work. (laughs) It's so painful. In 1958, Ramey married Richard Dick Quirerolo. 
A sheet metal contractor and artist. She assumed her husband's last name after marriage, but remained Wanda Ramey in her professional life, um, presumably because there's no way that anyone can pronounce No. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1963, Ramey was featured in a newspaper article titled From Fashion Shows to Fires, Wanda Ramey is KPIX's Woman on the Beat. The article described Ramey as calm and reserved, petite and mild-mannered. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. One of the few women in broadcasting who successfully manages to polish the rough corners off the hard news. It stated wow. Ramey was chosen because of her flexibility and her ability to interview celebrities and political figures. And because she was petite. Yeah, and I assume single. by flexibility they do mean her ability to do the splits. I... <laughs> <laughs> She's an intelligent and attractive young woman, is single, and also very serious about her work. It's like that single is the main thing, yeah. and the fact that she's serious about work is secondary. Ramey died of cancer at her home in Greenbrae on 15th of August 2009. Upon her death, her family established a scholarship fund in her name, the Wanda Ramey Scholarship in Communication at Indiana State University. Longtime friend and godmother of Ramey's daughter, Phyllis Diller, said of Ramey, having Wanda for a friend is like having a million dollars in your checking account. Which is lovely. I'd like oh, someone nice. to say that about me. No yeah. chance. <laughs> it's like having a fiver in your back pocket when you forgot it was there. <laughs> Which is still a compliment. <laughs> still pretty good. Nice. Still yeah. pretty good, but it's not like top level stuff, like a million dollars in your checking account. Yeah. There you go. Wonder Amy. Well, you know, not not the most exciting woman <laughs> in the world, but there you go. Well, it's a, an interesting insight to just how horribly women were just routinely treated in the 1950s for absolutely mm. no good reason. Um, not like today, where everything's fine. <laughs> okay, well, we hope you're not too sad about um, Mr. Snuffleupagus's divorce. I hope you get through the next week before our next episode. Uh, in the meantime, you can keep up to date with us on Wikishuffle Pod on Twitter. You can email us at podcast at wikishuffle.co.uk. You can get in touch with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash wikishuffle. And as always, the best way to support us is by um, leaving a review on iTunes or subscribing or leaving a star rating. That really helps out the podcast and it boosts our rankings. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 